going on everybody how we doing and welcome back to another episode of the welch report with me sean luke welch make some noise clap it up get excited wherever you are we are back with another phenomenal show sorry that i'm late this is supposed to come out earlier my apologies but we still gonna cover everything that's happened over the course of the week including Devin haney specifically dominating regis brokerage that's right this is also gonna have some boxing and some nba with Giannis scoring 64 points in a franchise and career high record a dominant performance against the pacers wish we had that during the playing tournament but we'll address that once we get to it as well as the brother is finally out of here he is gone draymond green has been suspended well actually let me not clap let's not clap for it it's more of a oh my goodness situation people are clapping across the league people are booing across the league was this the right or wrong decision by the nba to just suspend him indefinitely oh we got so much to cover on this show thank you for tuning in thank you for listening leave a like on the video comment your thoughts and opinions subscribe to the channel and share the show with everybody that you know so we can build up this empire together of a community that we got going on yes indeed we almost at 550 next road 600 and again a thousand then ten thousand hundred thousand next thing you know we got five million on tap ready to go and talk about everything that's happening in the sports community so again thank you so much for all of love and support please share the show so we can help on building up this brand together absolutely but without further ado we ain't got time to play we got to talk about boxing and when we talk about boxing it is time to step into the ring that is right let's get it started ring the bell round one for this portion of the boxing segment of the show talking about Devin Haney in an absolute Barn burner of a fight from his perspective and a whitewashing on the side of Regis Focus. Devin Haney showed up and he did exactly what I said he was going to do. I've been on a roll picking these fights and I, I've been right again. Oh, yes, indeed. I got my prediction right. And I said, don't be surprised if he knocked him out. But he didn't knock him out, but he knocked him down. This man's got legitimate crap to him. He's got legitimate pop to him. This brother now did every, what I said was going to happen when he moved up in weight happened when he moved up in weight now that he's at lightweight now that he's at 140 now that reportedly he came into the weight he came into the fight at 168 165 maybe just around those marks so a fully rehydrated fully healthy Devin Haney is a different beast entirely this man's a monster this man's a new breed of animal in terms of fighter we are looking at Devin Haney from a completely different lens, and I couldn't be happier for it. I've been waiting on Devin Haney to take this turn, and I've been speculating that once he moves up, we will see a new facet of his ability unlocked amongst all of our eyes. And that's exactly what we saw. We've been seeing Devin Haney's a pot shotter. Devin Haney's a, a, a scoring-type puncher. He's a great technical boxer, great feet. Good defense, is smart, is tactical, has one of the best jabs in the business. Phenomenal. A great outbox. We know this. But we've been saying he ain't got no power to worry about. And if he faces somebody like a tank or even amongst the upper echelon of the weight class, whatever weight class that he's in, opponents who are aggressive can just run through him and run to him without fear of danger and they will be able to catch him in any way, shape, or form. The power has been the least of their concern, hence people can become disrespectful. That is what was the speculating ire amongst everybody who was saying that was Devin Haney's biggest problem. Because he doesn't have pop, 
people are going to be able to not have to worry about, oh, they can be knocked out. They can take more chances and put Devin Haney in bigger danger and potentially render that boxing ability null and void because if they turn it into a brawl, oh my goodness, stuff can happen. We saw him get hurt against Lomachenko. We saw him get hurt against, again, Jorge Linares. We saw him get hurt or at least get affected by people that are physical. And we know physicality is one of his worst um, assets when it comes to his ability to box at his best. Physicality affects him for the worst. We know this. However, now we can't say that anymore. Because in the words of Jim Ross, we got some problems. We got some problems here. Yeah, doggone right, we got some problems. Don't you like the new sound? Also, don't you like the new voice, the new uh, uh, settings I got on my microphone? Hopefully, I sound better. Hopefully, I sound worse. Please tell me. But again, like Jim Ross said, we got some problems problems up here when it comes to Devin Haney now because physicality is no longer an issue. We saw him muscle Regis Progress where he wanted him to go. We saw Devin Haney push Regis Progress off. We saw Devin Haney stand right in front of Regis Progress. We saw Devin Haney fight like a fighter that is no longer boring. Like some people have been saying about Devin Haney, he's a boring boxer to watch. Not anymore. And even more so than being boring, because again, he was never boring to me or anybody that is in the realm of boxing. But he is now not just an exciting fighter, but a fighter that is well able to throw his own weight around and his own power around and maximize his size. That's the biggest thing. We got to see Devin Haney maximize the very thing that we've been saying about him. He's a big Kid, he's a big fighter. He's a big champion now, two division champion. He is a big man for whatever division that he's been in, at least from what we've seen him at from the former weight class at 135 up until now, 140. Still at 140, he's still big, but now his frame is filled out. His body is, is now fit the weight that he's fighting. It. And we are seeing a new avenue of outright dominance that is potentially unfolding for Devin Haney. The game plan that Devin Haney can now employ is completely different now. And we have to also understand, going up against Regis Progress, Progress was a dominant power puncher who, again, is one of the hardest hitters in the entire division and has a phenomenal chin and is just tough all around. We know who Regis Progress is and we know why he's been so touted so well and so highly. He's not a champion for nothing. We saw Devin Haney do what the one thing that we've never seen an opponent do to somebody like a Regis Progress. And that's outright domination. We haven't seen it. We've never seen somebody dominate somebody as tough, as strong, as powerful as Regis Progress before. We've never seen Progress as tough, strong, and powerful as he is be dominant like he was. Not just from a technical standpoint, but just from outright every single facet. His power was rendered nothing boy. He only landed 36 punches, breaking the old record for fewest punches landed in a fight per copy box records by DeSantos when he fought Shakur Stevenson in one of the worst fights of the year. We saw Regis Progress land less than him the entire fight, 36 punches throughout the entire 12-round affair and got dropped in the fourth round, third round, excuse me, got dropped in the third round, stunned in the sixth, stunned again in the ninth, hurt multiple times, muscled around, we saw Devin Haney do the very thing that nobody thought Devin Haney would do. Be the predator. Not just be a, a, a okay, I'm going to just lead you where I want you to go, lull you into shots, and then boom, counter you, stick and move. No, a predator. A man that planted his feet, boxed right in front of Reed's progress, 
and dominated. Cut him up, bruised him, had him in fits. And just like I said, his footwork confused Devin. His footwork confused Regis Progress, excuse me. His boxing ability far surpassed Regis Progress. And so the only way that Progress was going to be able to win was by making it a brawl. And when he got on the inside, what happened? He got mauled. Plain and simple. Landing the uppercut. Landing hooks left, right, and center. Again, the stiff jab looked stiffer. The right hand looked powerful. Again, knocked him down in the third round, like I've been saying. Stunned him multiple times. Wobbled him multiple times in this fight. Made him have to think before he came in. And then, like I said before in, in, the, in the preview for this fight, countered Regis Pograce, lulled him into overcommitting, and then catching him consistently. And I said that that damage was going to accumulate early on. Or excuse me, it was going to accumulate later on in the fight. And at that point, okay, we could see Pograce get hurt. I wasn't expecting it to take to take fruit third round knocked down not from being off balance yeah he was taken by surprise but he wasn't off balance it wasn't even he was coming in for a shot it was simple Haney after an exit threw a straight right hand when Reed Spograce was expecting him to keep on backing up caught him flushing clean Spograce was still planted he wasn't off balance and got dropped got dropped severely and we were, Devin Haney could have ended that fight. He could have, especially after the sixth round. He could have ended that fight after the sixth round when he had him hurt again, severely. We could have seen him end this fight earlier. But that's what makes Devin Haney so special. He knows that he can do stuff, but he's also understanding that there's no need against somebody of this power to take too many risks when you already know that you can drop him with just what you've been doing now. So even when he had him hurt, and to some degree hurt severely, and I do wish he would have tried to go for it a little bit more when he had him in a bad state. Still kept his calm, still kept his composure, kept on boxing, up to the, up the aggression without upping the irrational punches, which what we've seen multiple opponents do. And now as we see him more fight in this style, we could see potentially him become even more aggressive. Now that, okay, I've gotten comfortable. I've gotten past a big hurdle. I was able to hurt somebody that was incredibly tough, incredibly sound, and incredibly powerful. Now I can start taking some more chances. We might see that in the next fight. We might see him start, if he gets you hurt this time, start going, going after you. But now we see essentially a new, different animal in Devin Haney. And it is something sublime to see. Everything that we knew he was good at, he still retained. The only thing is, he now has added on a dimension of power and strength that he can now use not only to catch you and hurt you, but also to muscle you out of the way. No longer is he seen as somebody that is going to be a cakewalk for anybody who's, more, who's stronger than him to just push through. Because his strength and weight has caught up to his body. Now that he's in his weight class. And we're looking at a new found animal and a new monster in the 140-pound division. And bring you to the next one of the show. Where, in fact, is he when it comes to the lightweight division? Is he the best lightweight in the world? Excuse me, super lightweight, 140, excuse me. Is he the best 140-pounder in the world? My apologies. Is he, a be is he the best 140-pounder in the world? He's tied 
at minimum. Or excuse me, um, it, it's, it's either he is tied or he's a close second. My apologies. He's tied or he's a close second. Who, in fact, is it? Number one or tied with him? Teofimo Lopez. And then, either tied or at the second spot, Devin Hank. But you can argue at this time, he might be the best in the world at that weight class. He very well could be at 140. Amongst the real contenders, Ryan Garcia, Teofimo Lopez, Devin Haney. He might be either tied for the best, and if you argue for him for the best after this performance, especially since we haven't seen Teofimo Lopez in the ring in a while, no problem. No problem. No problem at all. I'm not going to fight you. I got him tied right now. The reason being, we have somebody like Teofimo Lopez who's the only person that could potentially usurp him at this weight class because we saw Lopez when he fought against Josh Taylor. Yes, we know we haven't seen him in the ring since, but still, that performance was incredibly dominant as well against, at that point in time, considered a pound-for-pound contender, if not in the pound-for-pound outright, and Josh Taylor routinely saw him in the pound-for-pound rankings for ESPN and others. And he made him look mundane. And he went back to take over like Teofimo. Not the Teofimo that was on the ropes questioning, do I still got it? He went back to, what was it, Gordo? Gordo Teofimo Lopez is a, is a beast. Yes, he is. Since we saw him get back to that and what we see, I believe he will retain that. It's either he's the best or he's tied with Devin Haney. Again, I'm not arguing if you have him above him. I'm saying it's at minimum one or two if you flip or flop. It's either Devin Haney or Teofimo Lopez. Ryan Garcia against this Devin Haney walked in the park. Done away with. Against Teofimo Lopez, walked in the park. And done away with. Easy work. Because again, like we said, Ryan Garcia hasn't shown any vast amount of improvement to give me credence to say he can compete with the elite of the elite. That's the reality. So it's between Devin Haney and Teofimo Lopez. And one other name. One other name. One other menace of a man. And I've talked about him before. Sabriel Matias. Matias, he isn't the best. He's the most dangerous. He's the most dangerous. Third best in the division, in my humble opinion. Third best in the division. Sabriel Matias, if you don't know, I've talked about him before, but I'll recap it on the show again. And if I haven't talked about it on the show, it is your first introduction. 20 and 1, 20 KOs, every single win by knockout has made his last five opponents quit breaking Vasily Lomachenko's record of four consecutive. This man is a monster. A brother who doesn't even throw big punches. He throws punches with his arms. Doesn't even use his hips. And batters opponents, similar to what we've seen with David Benavides. And his power is at that scale and potentially even greater. He's not just a puncher that can bludgeon and just beat you up he can also knock you out in one go for real it's 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 you don't know when it's gonna pop up he could catch you you're done outright or he could just keep on peppering you and you just get absolutely destroyed he can do both one hit a quitter and 
beat you up to kingdom come, bludgeon you to no end. Defensively, he's not that great. We understand that. Or if you don't understand it and because you haven't seen him, we get it. He's not that great defensively, but offensively. Oh, my gosh. This man should be feared by everybody in the division. And fear is the apropos word because this is the man who, sadly, has killed somebody in the ring. Yes. He's killed somebody in the ring. It's, 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 it's a, we know it as a threat. We know it as a real possibility. But he's done it against a fighter. Maxine Dadashev sadly lost his life after getting beat and KO'd, stopped by Sabil Matias. Again, an ultimate warrior in every sense of the word, fully encapsulating exactly what the sport should be. We are sadly going to miss him because he sadly lost his life. But while it is a morbid topic, it is a dangerous asset in the myth of Sabriel Matias. Why we hold him in such dangerous regard isn't just because he is a name. Oh, he's got power. No, he's dangerous, legitimate by every single metric. He is a serious threat to everybody. He's a threat to Tio. He's a threat to Devin Haney. He's a threat to Ryan Garcia. And he's a champion. I believe the WBA champ. This is the man who is, if you want to become undisputed, you must run through him. That's a dangerous brother. That's a dangerous cat. That is an ominous threat to everybody who wants to compete at that division. There's a reason why people don't call him out. There's a reason why people don't make him as one of the top names to say, give me that man. He's dangerous. He's absolutely dangerous. He's unapologetically dangerous. This fighter is something to be on the lookout for. Again, he's not the best. Third best, but not the best. And in terms of talent, I'm not saying he's not great. He is great. He's just below Devin Haney and Teofim Lobos. They're more complete totalitarian type fighters. Especially Devin Haney after he's gained weight and newfound power. But he is still Somebody that can shake up that whole division. Turn everybody upside down. And put a wrench in everybody's perceived notion of who indeed should run that division. Keep an eye out for that brother. But back to top 10 or, or who's the best in the division, excuse me. So Bill Matias is third. And then it's either a tie between T.O. and Deborah Haney. Or you can put Devin Haney at one or Tio at one. Either way. Mix and match. So he that's how much Devin Haney has made an impact with this fight. It's been incredible. It's been absolutely phenomenal. And the question now becomes with this next segment. Where indeed. Or not where indeed. If indeed. We know. Or we see Devin Haney as being ready for Javante Tank Davis. Now that's been the smoke. That's been the whole the, the whole shebang. The one of the biggest names in boxing, Javante Tank Davis versus Devin Haney, who we thought they were going to fight at 135. Now Devin Haney has been said on Twitter, "I'm never going back to 135. I'm never going back down." 
So now this Devin Haney is here to stay. There's no regression. And most likely, if he's as steadfast as he's talking like he's going to be, he's not looking to fight at a catch weight either. So we're looking at now, it's going to be at 140. If indeed that fight happens, one, will we see it happen? I think yes. Reason why I think we'll see it happen, Javante Tank Davis right now, while he's a dominant presence at 135. Absolutely. It still has some business to take care of. Like fighting against Shakur Stevens, hopefully. Fighting against Vasily Lomachenko, hopefully. Fighting against those top, the top brass. Maybe even trying to go for undisputed at 135 since Devin Haney let go of the belts. With all of that in front of him, it's still everybody that he's looking to fight or wants to fight has either already moved up or is getting ready to move up. Shakur, if that fight doesn't happen soon, we could see him move up to 140. If he doesn't try to go out to undisputed, we could see him move up to 140. Because now a lot of the heavy hitters, again, Haney, Lopez, and Ryan Garcia, many of whom, especially now Devin Haney, and Ryan Garcia, and Teofimo Lopez, all of whom are big cash cows, they're up there. We can see Shakur with his talent, especially after he makes one another dominant performance when he comes back fully healed, speculating that that's the case. He could move up as well. Sooner rather than later. We now know and are now seeing Javante Tank Davis could be left on his own at 135 if, in fact, he doesn't make these fights happen. And if that does happen, it's going to be by, by force, not by choice. That he's got to fight these people. That he's got to fight Devin Haney. And if that happens, can we see Devin Haney beat him? Could we see Devin Haney legitimately get over Tank Davis? The answer is no, at least in my estimation. I still got Javante Tank Davis beating Devin Haney. Yeah, yeah, I said that, right? I still got Javante Tank Davis beating Devin Haney. Still got Tank beating Devin Haney. I just know now it's going to be a completely different fight. Previously, it was going to be that because Tank didn't have to worry about Haney's power at 135. And with his own dominant power and great ring IQ in his own right, some of the best in the world, he would be able to take chances, catch Devin Haney without worrying about what's coming back at him, and then boom, knock him out. Now, though, this isn't the same. Now we're looking at a Devin Haney who was able to knock down one of the tougher fighters in the division at 140, reach his progress, stumble him multiple times, wobble him multiple times, knock him down early in the fight when progress was healthy. Not even but before the rest of the domination happened. Caught him before damage accumulated. This Devin Haney is going to give Tank a completely different war. A completely different fight. A completely different war entirely. This Devin Haney could throw a real wrench in the system. And it's not going to be as easy as, as we may have thought. Because what we're looking at with Devin Haney now is what I was hoping we could see Ryan Garcia in some way, shape, or form achieve. What do I mean? Ryan Garcia has been a man who, again, size-wise, great for the division. Technique-wise, I hate it. Again, like we saw against Duarte. 
some semblance of improvement overshadowed by still a lack of skills yet to be refined and still testing out new stuff in the ring the day of. Terrible. Lacks the technical ability, but has the physical capabilities to give everybody trouble and hand speed and legitimate power. Phenomenal. Devin Haney did what we I was hoping we saw from Tank or we saw from Ryan Garcia. He went, added sides to him, and kept all the technical ability. That type of fighter who was bigger and now has strength in his own right and can hold his own on the inside if it indeed gets to that point and is a great counterpuncher and a great outboxer, leaks better than Ryan Garcia, can utilize his height and extremities and physical gifts to the fullest of their extent, unlike Ryan Garcia, that is a different animal. I was expecting previously there was going to be, before we saw this type of Devin Haney, it was going to be the same fight that we saw against Ryan Garcia in terms of Tank versus Ryan. Outright outclassing. Maybe not from a technical standpoint, but just from Tank being able to overwhelm Devin Haney because Devin Haney is going to be too respectful, too frail to be able to take punches or to give the punches necessary to gain the respect. Now, it's not the case anymore. This Devin Haney against that Tank Davis. Whew. That's, that, that's a war. That's a fight. That's not easy. Tank's going to bring a lunch pail. Tank's going to have to have some real adversity going against him. Tank's going to have a war coming his way. Tank is going to need to be a tank in the fullest case, in the fullest sense. Because war is coming. I still got Tank winning. Still got Javante Davis winning. But I now know that's not going to be the same fight. It's going to be a real test for Javante Tank Davis. Maybe the biggest test that he's had and the biggest test that he's faced. Because he's faced some good competitors. Again, he's faced off against Leo Santa Cruz. He's faced off against a respectable Hector Garcia. Faced off against Ryan Garcia as well. It ain't like that he hasn't done good work. He faced off against um, Gamboa. Knocked him out. Doubly Gamboa tore his Achilles in that fight, but still. And I think he was on the downtrend, but still, 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 still. He's beat people that have either been champions or contending for championships. His resume isn't bad. It's just that of recent, he hasn't put on, put up those types of performances against champions. And we want him to fight champions now. We want him to start challenging the best of the best in the division on a consistent basis. That's all. The resume has taken a hit to a degree. Yes, I know. We fought Ryan Garcia. We're talking about not just from a big name perspective. I'm talking about from a talent perspective. From a talent perspective, we're looking for him to step up his game even more. He's fighting people at Ryan Garcia's level. Talent-wise, not name-wise, talent-wise. That's not good. He needs to be start getting above and getting in the ring more. That's all we want to see. That's all we want to see. And he's speculated to come back in 2024. At least per his 
per maybe early 2024 per his social medias posted he's posted on there instagram stories and all that but the point stands regardless of all that, all of this is to say that tank's going to be forced to fight demand not going to be by choice it's going to be by force because he's going to have to move up if every big name keeps on leaving the division and since that's the case, and if we see Devin Haney fight Tank, that's a different fight entirely. That's a different war entirely. That's a different set of skills that I am so invested in seeing Tank go up against. Devin Haney is a different beast of a fighter. This Devin Haney is somebody that can keep on moving up, potentially. Potentially fight at welterweight. He could. This brother is something special now. He's evolved. He's changed. He's done the necessary evolution to reach the peak of his game. This Devin Haney can beat so many people. And he can beat Tank Davis. I'm not saying he will. I'm not saying he will. I'm saying he can. And that's the very thing that makes this fight so interesting. Wasn't that we were saying that he couldn't win? Or wasn't that we were saying that he would win? Nobody thought he could win against Tank. Now, throw that out the window. Devin Haney's got a legitimate shot at beating Tank Davis if they fight against each other. Yes, he does. Now, moving on from the world of boxing, now that with that final round, onto the world of the NBA. We got to see Giannis have an absolute spectacle of a performance going and scoring 64 points in a franchise and career high predomination of the Indiana Pacers. Again, remember, the Indiana Pacers beat the Bucks in the in-season tournament for them to get to the finals to inevitably lose to the Los Angeles Lakers. And we're going to address that as well, the play-in tournament results and final and the tournament overall. But we got to see Again, Halliburton played phenomenal, beat the Bucks in an upset win. Now in this game, Giannis played like he should have played against the Patriots the first time. Dominating performance, only missed, what, four or five shots in the game? Was it 24 for 28? I believe in an absolute master class of a game, we were looking at Giannis as a monster. The Greek freak was something to behold in this game. And when we say domination, this is what we mean. When we say a freak of nature. This is what we mean in terms of Giannis Antetokounmpo. This man, he is a monster. A monster. And should still be vying for the spot as one of the best players in the world. Not, not still vying. Excuse me. He is one of the best players in the world. Top five, in my opinion, concretely. Concretely. You can't name five players better than Giannis Antetokounmpo, in my estimation. And if you do, we're going to have a fight. I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm saying it's set in stone for me as dominant as this buddy and as consistent as he is. But this is what we want to see from our superstars. Consistency. And if playing like this, shoot, the Bucks could be, again, the reason, the reason why I said that him and Dame should be favorites to win the finals if, or get to the finals, excuse me, not win it, but get to the finals outside of the Celtics with their greatly constructed roster. This team is something to behold. They, they, they really are. 
And then you had the whole aftermath with the gang, them not getting the game ball, all this stuff, drama on, the, on both sides of the floor. Again, in the words of JR, we got a problem. We got some problems here. Oh, yes, we do. We had a major problem after the game with them essentially getting to a big old scuffle. John is running to, the, running to the locker room trying to fight to get the ball back. And then in the press conference saying, look, I, I got the ball. I don't even know if this is the, indeed the game ball from the game. I didn't get the game ball from game six. Frustrated, but don't worry. We played them again in a couple, you know, it's a couple weeks, a couple days, whatever that case is. We played them again this season. So, in his words, they're going to bring our A game and we got to be ready. Sounds like, maybe I'm reading, reading into it as a fan. Who cares? It sounds like a brewing of a rivalry. And hopefully, we get more of these. Hopefully, this in season tournament has helped birth more animosity between teams. Not because, okay, I want teams to players to hate each other, but bring another level of certain games we have to tune into. Not just because of it's star versus star, but because it's dislike versus dislike, or I want to beat this team against I want to beat this team. That type of mentality. Amping our game up even more for this sect of games, or for this type of opponent. That's what we want. I hope this keeps on happening. This is just the fan in me. Y'all be biased. I hope we get this type of animosity. I want this type of of anger amongst the two. You know, social media is saying he's probably going, he's looking to go for 70, 80. Who knows? And I hope that's the case. I want to see Giannis angry against the Pacers. I want to see the Pacers going against Giannis. Be like, no, you, you ain't going, you, you try to make a fool of us thinking, oh, you're going to make a statement now? Bump that. We coming for you. I want this. And then, the early seeds of potentially a built-on rivalry of, of teams and fans that just don't like each other or that want to see their team beat that team specifically. Not in a, in a, in a, in a bad way, but it's going to be in a bad way to some degree because, again, it is a rivalry. I don't like you. You don't like me. Let's play against each other in a sports connotation. Those types of games are great, and I want to see that again. This has been a routinely thing. We lack the amount of real rivalries in this league. We, 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 we don't have it. First, it was LeBron versus the Warriors. And that was only in the finals. But then outside of that, yeah. Then it was LeBron versus the Pacers when he was on Miami. And then there, Boston and L.A. haven't been nearly as heated as they need to be. Outside of the debacle of an officiated game when LeBron should have gotten fouled but wasn't fouled and he lost the game because of it during the tumultuous season last year or was it the year before whenever that game happened I forget when but whenever that game happened LeBron on the floor slapping the canvas in, in an incredible display of emotion all of that outside of that game it hasn't been that same level it hasn't been that that, that feeling of oh it's Lakers versus Celtics or it's whatever other rivalry versus whatever other rivalry. It's getting even harder to name them because there aren't many of them. We need anything, anything and everything to make these types of games feel more impactful. To hold something over somebody else's head to some degree. Because it helps breed even more competitive fire. Beyond just the in-season tournament that we got. Beyond it. 
And speaking of the, of the tournament, going on and switching gears, tournament was great. LeBron won, LeBron won MVP. Lakers won the in-season tournament championship. They're going to hang a banner. That's essentially all that boils down to. They're going to hang a banner. And that's the biggest anger-inducing thing to many people. They're going to hang a banner. How dare, why are y'all doing this? It's not a real title. The world are y'all doing it? Why are you holding it in the same esteem? Pump the brakes. We're not saying it's a real title when it comes to the in-season tournament championship. We're not saying it's on the same level as a NBA championship. No. But we bought in fully to this tournament. Fans and players alike. Everybody got invested. Felt like playoff atmosphere. We all collectively said, this is good. This is great. This means something. Hence, we care. So since we care, both as fans and as players and as league as a whole, we now have to submit this as a staple type situation. We have to acknowledge it in some degree. Hence, a banner for in-season tournament champions is, is valid. It's completely valid. It's not bad. It's not taking away the game. Yeah, we know the thing being thrown around on the internet. Kobe saying we don't hang divisional titles. We don't hang conference titles. We hang championships, banners up in the rafters. That's it. Championships or nothing. We understand it. We get it. And we don't never, we dare not disrespect that type of mentality or the, or the words of Kobe. We understand that titles, NBA titles, are everything. That's the biggest thing that we care about. At the same time, hanging a banner, we're not necessarily equating it to the same thing as that. But we are acknowledging this tournament is a big deal. This tournament is something worth playing and fighting for. This tournament has some level of real impact on how a team is viewed and how the overall ethos of the NBA is seen at that point in time in terms of who reigns, who indeed at that point in time, early in the season, is the best team in the league in a one-game elimination-style tournament. Is it? That, that's, that's the truth. It is something that we need to acknowledge. We have to, because if we don't, it's going to go by the wayside. We won't have this anymore. The NBA will say, oh, players don't care. Eh. Fans don't care. They're getting on us because it's, we, we're hanging a banner. Because they're now saying, oh, y'all are, y'all are hating on the game that we love. Y'all are messing up what should be only held for the ultimate end goal, championships. How dare you? This series or this tournament is a sham. Forget it. We don't want it. It's not what we want. We want to see this stick around. Hence, it's got to have some validation to it. Hanging a different banner, again, it's going to be a different banner, probably smaller, not nearly as significant in size, but it is still a legitimate accomplishment to acknowledge that a team won this and this has weight. This is a real meaningful championship to some degree. It's a title that has worth. Hence, we should all hold it in respect. Whoever wins so, hanging a banner is not bad. It doesn't take away from the game. It doesn't hurt the game. It only adds to it 
because we understand and know those titles and those banners are not on the same caliber as NBA championships. Still, they are valid in some way, shape, or form. They are legitimately valid. Excuse me, not in some way, shape, or form, because that's just and whatever. In a real way, shape, and form, these titles are valid. So to acknowledge them is not out of the question. We just don't acknowledge them to the same degree as the others. As, again, a real legitimate title. But we still acknowledge it nonetheless. Because everybody wants to win it. Everybody has some real fervor to this. They, they, they got real passion about this. It's not just a sham. Hence, we should treat it as such and give it the respect it deserves. So a championship banner for the in-season tournament is not bad. It's not bad. Pump the brakes. Come on. Don't be ignorant. It is not bad at all when it comes to if that banner is hosted up in the rafters. Because it's going to be different. It's not going to be anywhere as grandiose. And it's not, we know, it's not going to hold the same level of weight, but it does hold weight. That's the main thing. It does hold legitimate weight. Hence, we should let it happen. Let it happen. And again, the league probably mandated it in order to give it, give the, the tournament more validation. That doesn't change the fact that still it should happen. Still, if the league didn't do it, it should still happen. If, they, if a team said do it, I'm not, I'm not opposed to it. If the, team, if the league wasn't forcing it and the team was still doing it, would not have a problem with it. And neither should you. Now going to, lastly, on this show, talking about Draymond Green. Oh, yes, talking about Draymond Green. And f- the man is indefinitely suspended. Indefinitely suspended. And on some sects of the NBA circle, you're hearing this. Oh, they're clapping, they're cheering, hooping and hollering. Other people, they're saying, what the world? What's wrong with we, we, this is an issue. This is a problem. Why are you going to suspend him? It's two sides of the coin. You want to know my opinion on it all? That it was valid. It's a valid indefinite suspension. Now, I don't like the why. Because it sounds kind of, eh, we don't want you, we want you to work on you. We don't want you to worry about the number of games. We want you to only worry about how you getting better in terms of talking with Jamal Green. This was Joe Dumars talking on first take. We want you to worry about you. We want you to worry about getting better mentally, emotionally. We want you to fix and rectify internally you so that we, you can go forward and play the game that we love, play the game that you love without any impeding problems or issues like this arising again. That was the statement. That's the reasoning. Okay, fine. That doesn't change the fact that this should have happened a long time ago. Even if you don't want to hold it so that we don't focus on a number, fine. It should be a long suspension. It should. Maybe I'm being too grandiose. Okay, fine. Doesn't matter because the facts are we have been watching this man do consistently dirty tactics for his entire career away from his talent. We know what his talent was and currently is. Nowhere close to what he used to be, but still. We know what he is and was definitely as a player. That's completely separate to the actions that he's done. We talk about enforcers. We talk about people playing rough and tough. 
We talk about all of that. Go back in the day. Okay, fine. That's how you feel. That's how you feel. He's playing hard-nosed basketball. I've seen hard-nosed basketball. I've seen hustle basketball. I've seen players who want to strike a fire under the their, their team's feet and make them play better. I've seen enforcers before. Draymond Green may be all of that, but he's still gone above and beyond what should be acceptable for players in that role. He just has. Stomping people this, this season. Stomping people, punching people, jawing at refs, uh, I believe, ejected more than anybody else this season. On track to potentially break Rasheed Wallace's record of rejections in his career. In text in his career. And over the course of the past couple seasons, we have seen Draymond Green amp up his aggression. Not in the way that he plays, but in the way that he treats other, other players just as a whole. And it's terrible. It's despicable. It's horrible. This stuff should have been, he should have been suspended a long time ago. And I'm not here trying to be the whole, oh, uh, no, oh, old, righteous, da 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 by humbug type dude. No. I love physical play. I love competitive fire, like we just talked about. That's not competitive fighter. That is not physical play. When he backhand Yusuf Nurkic after Nurkic, yeah, he was grabbing his jersey, but he wasn't tugging. It wasn't, there wasn't, there wasn't, there wasn't like Draymond, he couldn't have just gotten away or moved. There wasn't any egregious contact to force him to have to do a complete backhand 180. Legitimately a 180 backhand from his position facing this way. With not near as much contact as he was trying to force was being put on him to have him, to cause him to do that. To cause him to go berserk. To cause him to backhand a brother. Cause him to backhand no it, it makes no sense. That's not basketball. It's not even tough play. That's just stupid. That's what Draymond's been. He's been stupid. Multiple times he's done this aggression, tough guy angle, cover up the fact that he's acted stupid. That's all it is. He's acted dumb. And But because it's Draymond, oh, let it slide. Oh, let it go away. That's ignorant. It's dumb on the side of Steve Kerr. It's dumb on Draymond's side for consistently saying, I play hard. Okay, boom. You're going to see me get a tech. It's just who I am. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. This isn't even like what Den- this isn't like Dennis Rodman, who was somebody who, yeah, he hustled. Yeah, he played hard. He had some off-court stuff that was insane. But on the court, you knew he was going to be there. Yeah, he got under opponent's skin. But he never actively tried to take himself out the game because he was too out there. That's not what he did. He was always there for his team for the most part. Yeah, he got ejected sometimes. Yeah, he went over the top. But it wasn't nearly as egregious or consistent as we see with Draymond Green. More often than not, you're hurting your team than helping your team. That's the difference between him, Dennis Rodman, and Draymond in terms of hard-nosed hustle, dirty work-type players. Dennis Rodman was there consistently. Would it take his own skill set out of the game by letting his emotions get in the best of him? That much, that consistently, would still get under players' skin, similar to what we see Patrick Beverly do, but it wouldn't be to the point that we see 
him again gone just outright gone we wouldn't see that we wouldn't see that on nearly a consistent basis as we see somebody like Draymond Green do so even the very skill set limited skill set especially in today's game that you have at your disposal if you're Draymond Green is whatever value that you have and that is in a very limited capacity now gets taken away from him. you're not lighting a fire if anything, it seems like what, um, I, who was it? Was it Iman Shumpert or Jeff Teague? One of them. Somebody said, Draymond, when he doesn't want to play, he, 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 he'll get, a, or maybe which would go better. One of those three players. Somebody said, if Draymond Green doesn't want to play, he gets, he gets out of there. He'll do what he needs to do to get out of the game. I thought that was a bunch of noise, but maybe that's not as, as, as just ho-hum as I thought. Maybe that's real. Maybe that's substantial. Maybe that's not as far-fetched as I thought it was. Maybe Draymond Green does indeed. Because it's, the Warriors have been so bad. Because Ray Thompson has played like an absolute bum. Because Draymond Green himself has played like a bum for multiple seasons. Because of his skill set being diminished more and more and more. And the value of his team being diminished more and more and more. And everything's going down with the ship. And it's why the owner left. Maybe that's why he keeps on getting more and more brash. Because it, in his mind, there's nothing to play for. And I don't want to be the speculating type of guy. I don't like that role. But when evidence starts proving more and more that something's bigger than just a speculation, just a conspiracy, on a consistent basis, maybe it's not just one thing that's just noise. Maybe it's real. We've seen Draymond this season, I mean, go for broke in some cases, going outlandish. The only news that we hear of the Warriors of late has been revolved around either Klay Thompson shooting abysmal or Draymond Green getting ejected, attacked, John getting in the fight, choking out Rudy Gobert, stomping on a player, doing something that isn't anything related to basketball, just entertaining madness. That's what we've been seeing from Draymond Green this season, more than ever. So maybe he is fed up. Maybe he's frustrated. Whatever the reasoning is, he's wrong. And this should have happened a long time ago. Him getting suspended indefinitely. Now, some people are saying that we might never see him on the basketball court again. Pump the brakes, brother. Hold on. That ain't, let's not get stupid. Let's not get ridiculous. We know that's not happening. Come on now. That's ignorant to say. But we do know what we can say. And what I have said multiple, multiple years, Draymond Green's actions are catching up to him. All of that leeway that you were given, it's no longer happening anymore. Especially now that y'all suck as a team. Y'all aren't the darlings of the NBA. You don't have the, one of the faces of the league playing um, and dominating everybody. Individually, he's still Steph Curry. We understand that. But the team ain't back in the play of your best player. You're no longer a media darling. You're no longer a dynasty. You're just a team. Now that you've gotten out of that honeymoon phase of we're great, we're great, we are the Warriors, you ain't getting the same treatment. Especially with the way the league is now moving more and more and they're officiating 
some some say it is in a worse direction, but still, you can't get away with this stuff anymore. You can't, and because you can't, all this stuff that's happening now is because of the backlog of mess that you've done for the majority of your career, kicking Stephen Adams in the nuts multiple times, blow blowing players, stomping on players, jumping on players' heads, doing everything ignorant. Just because losing control of your body on a whim for no good reason whatsoever. None. None. Just playing, acting a fool. All you're doing is acting a fool. Ain't helping nobody. Just hurting the very team that you're trying to say you want a lot of fire. Again, it's dumb and it's stupid. And Draymond Green is catching up to you. When you'll come back, I don't know. Will you come back? Yeah, definitely. But now you know exactly what leech you're on. And it's finally gotten tight. Because that was stupid what you did to Nurkic. No business. It was insane, dumb, ignorant, unnecessary, ridiculous in all facets. Yeah, you deserve the suspension. And you're probably going to get more because, of the, again, the backlog has rendered your leash tight as tight as a collar. You're no longer able to get away with the stuff anymore. Hopefully. You're no longer able to get, get away from the stuff anymore. And if you continue this, maybe that noise of we won't see you play again, maybe that may actually be true. Potential. Not saying it's likely. At all. But I've yet to see somebody get suspended indefinitely under these parameters before. I've yet to see it. So now, this is a very interesting turn that we're going to see what, what happens with Draymond for the foreseeable future. But essentially, the brothers acted dumb, acted stupid, and this suspension is deserved. But with that being said, this has been another episode of The Welch Report with me, Jean-Luc Welch, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening. We have had so much fun on this show. Again, leave a like on the video. Comment your thoughts and opinions. Subscribe to the channel and share the show with everybody that you know so we can build up this empire together. Absolutely. I've been Jean-Luc Welch. Y'all have been beautiful. We will see you on the next episode. Peace and love. We are out of here.